you have been with us uh, any time over the last few months, you know we have taken on sort of a big project this year. We've been working through the book of Acts, and in particular, over the last several weeks, we've been working through the last section of the book of Acts in a series that we're calling Journey to the Ends of the Earth. And the reason we're calling it that is because Acts is really broken into three parts. Uh, It's broken into Jerusalem section which we covered at the beginning of the year, a Judea and Samaria section, which we covered in April and May, and then from Acts, uh, from Acts about chapter uh, 13 on, it's to the ends of the earth, which is what we're covering as the Apostle Paul carries the message of the gospel literally to the ends of the known world at the time. Uh, The interesting thing about this series and this title as it challenges us as believers to fulfill Jesus' mission to carry the message of the gospel to the ends of the, world, or ends of the earth is that it's a reminder to us that sometimes we don't have to go out of the country to share the message of the gospel. In fact, our students uh, this past week in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, your students uh, led five children at a little church camp we worked with, led five children to faith in Christ. Isn't that awesome? And you think Charleston, South Carolina, the the, the Bible Belt, and, and yet many of these kids had never heard uh, the message of Jesus. They had never heard that Jesus loves them. And so we are carrying the gospel literally to the ends of the earth, sometimes just by crossing a state line. But you may not even have to cross a state line. You may just need to cross your street. Because God is bringing people into the city of Jacksonville from all nations right here to our doorstep. And when we reach out just across the street to somebody who lives uh, near us in our community, in our neighborhood, and we share the gospel with them, the impact that that could have globally is significant as they go back to the countries from which they came and share the gospel there as well. But sometimes it's not even about crossing the street. Sometimes the greatest geographical distance isn't a distance at all. It's just the distance from your head to your heart. It's this 12 inches from here to here that sometimes may be the biggest distance that we have to travel. As we take what we know, for those of us who've been in church a long time, as we take what we know and understand from the Bible, and we do more than just comprehend it and understand it, but we get, begin to let it filter down into our heart and into our hands and into our feet as we live the message of the gospel out. Now, as we look at this third and final section of the book of Acts, we have been studying the life of who? The Apostle Paul, yeah. Uh, If you're tired of hearing about Paul, um, uh, don't get tired just yet. we got a few more weeks to go. And also, if you're a little confused about the timeline, I'd encourage you again to join us right after church today, San Marco Theater across the street, for a screening of the movie The Apostle Paul with Jim Caviezel. uh, I hope you'll come and take advantage of that opportunity. But Paul really illustrates this distance from the head to the heart. As Paul really did travel all around the known world of his time, he traveled a great distance by foot, but the distance he traveled in miles was not as far as the distance he traveled from being a slave to the law. He was a good religious man, but his, his enslavement to the law, to his freedom that was given to him in an encounter he had with Jesus as he began to be transformed from his head to his heart and live the message of the gospel out. Now, I want to share with you a prayer that was written, most scholars think, most Jewish scholars think this prayer was written about 300 BC, and it quickly made its way in to the daily routine of Jewish men, okay? This would have been a prayer that men would have prayed every morning as part of their regular uh, routine of daily prayers. And before I read this prayer to you, I just want you to remember, I did not write this, 
Okay, these are not my words. I am just quoting, but here's what this prayer said. Okay, blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Remember, I didn't write this. But, but now this is, this is significant because this prayer became so common in usage that it is almost certain that the Apostle Paul prayed this prayer every single morning. Blessed are you, O God of the universe. I am thankful that you did not make me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman every morning. Those were the three things that the Apostle Paul would have said he was thankful for. Now think about this. This is how he was raised. This is what he was taught. This is the same man who wrote to, to the Galatians later that it is the gospel. In the gospel, there is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. Think about that. What a tremendous change that happened in his life. And it started with him on the inside. And then as the gospel began to change his heart, he began to carry that message throughout his region and even beyond his region into the ends of the earth. It changed him from the inside out. Now, in Acts chapter 16, we see this lived out in a really significant way. This is part of Paul's second missionary journey. You remember two weeks ago, we looked at Paul and some obstacles that Paul faced. He was trying to go into Asia, and he ran into some roadblocks, and instead the Holy Spirit said, hey, I want you to go to Macedonia. And Paul listened. He didn't, he didn't look at that as, a, as, as an obstacle that had to be overcome, and he plowed ahead with his own will. Instead, he recognized God was redirecting him, so he went into Macedonia, and in Macedonia, he went into the city of Philippi, where he planted a church. And Luke, who is writing the book of Acts for us, records a case study, three case studies of the first members of the church of Philippi. And it's really, really important for us today to understand the significance of these individuals and their journey to to becoming Christ followers as Paul interacted with them. And I want you to think about this as we go through these three. First of all, which of these three most closely describe you? You will find yourself in one of these three case studies. Which one of these stories most closely relates to your experience? And then the second question I have for you is, who do you know that fits each of these descriptions? Who has God placed in your life? Maybe it's somebody you work with. Maybe it's a family member. Uh, maybe it's a, it's a relative. Who, but who is somebody that God has placed in your life? And you would look at their situation and you would say, hey, that case study describes this person. Okay, so let's look at each of these three. These are the first three members of the church of Philippi. And the first one is, you guessed it, a woman. A woman. Look what it says in Acts chapter 16. Beginning in verse 13. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put these on the screen, but there's also Bibles in front of you. You're welcome to take that as our gift to you if you don't have a printed Bible at home. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. One of the first members of the church was a woman. And on the Sabbath day, we, this is Luke talking about Luke and Paul and the rest of the posse. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Now what that means is Lydia was not a Jew by birth, but she was someone who had accepted the Jewish scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, and she was worshiping with all the God followers, all the Jews around her. So she was a God follower, a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. 
And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have any, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now, now, just to give you a comparison, if we were to talk about Lydia in our own culture, in our own city, uh, Lydia would be someone who lived uh, on the river in Ortega. She owns her own business. She's financially independent. Uh, she's probably got a membership at the Ortega Yacht Club and at the Pontevedra Country Club. She vacations most of the summer in Europe. Uh, she has no physical needs whatsoever. If she needs something, she just buys it. She is financially secure. She's confident. But Lydia had something missing. She knew there was something more to life than just what she could buy. So she was seeking after God. This is why she was meeting with the Jews down by the river and studying the Hebrew scriptures. Now, when Paul encounters her, he recognizes in Lydia somebody who is looking for God. He sees in her, he, this is somebody who has, who has all the wealth, everything she could ever want, and yet she sees in her own life that something is missing, and so she's looking for it in the Scripture. Paul takes advantage of that opportunity and begins to speak with Lydia, and he uses reason to persuade her of the truth of the gospel. You see, Lydia was looking for religion She was looking to see if she could find what she was seeking in religion. Now, religion is something that changes us from the outside in. Religion says if you just change your behavior, if you just engage in some behavior modification, then that will slowly begin to work its way inside and change your heart. The gospel doesn't work like religion. The gospel works from the inside out. The gospel says, no, Jesus gets a hold of your heart and changes your heart, and then slowly your outer actions begin to conform to what's going on on the inside of your heart. And so Paul began to reason with Lydia from the Hebrew scriptures and convinces her of the truth of the message of the gospel, that religion alone will never save you. You can't be that good, Lydia. You can gather with the Jews and study the scriptures all the time. You can participate in religious activities. You can try to do charitable good works, but you can never be good enough for your religion to save you. Let me introduce you to the one who can save you, and his name is Jesus. And everything you've been studying in the Old Testament has been pointing to him all along. And so she believes the gospel, and she's baptized, and her whole whole household comes to follow after Jesus. She goes from seeing God as something that is useful to someone who is beautiful. She, she, sees, she sees her relationship with God not as a means to an end, but she sees her relationship with God as the source of life. And through a reasonable presentation of the gospel, Lydia is changed. Let's look at the second, second case study. It's a slave, a slave. Look in verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer... We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. So these people are engaged in human trafficking. They're using this girl to gain money. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this kept, she kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. 
And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave the orders uh, to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet to the stocks. So here we have an interesting case study, this slave girl. Uh, She has been purchased by these people who are trafficking her. She's going around making all these uh, divinations for people, and they're making financial gain uh, from her practice doing that. Um, Now, she, if we were to compare her to somebody in our city today, uh, we might say that this slave girl uh, would not be too unlike uh, a young woman who is right now maybe walking up and down the street of Phillips Highway. And she is being trafficked uh, by individuals, sold for what she can provide them, and she is literally in bondage, even right now, within two miles of where we sit to worship right now. Now, Paul used reason to convince Lydia of the message of the gospel. But reason wasn't going to work with this slave girl. In fact, what this girl needed was she needed a powerful expression of the gospel in her life. She needed to be set free. She needed to experience the power of the gospel. And so this, this girl, this girl was really under two forms of oppression. The first one was spiritual. She was controlled by an evil spirit of some kind. It gave her the power to tell fortunes, but, but she was literally under the authority of a spiritual force that was oppressing her, but it wasn't the only thing. She was also under physical oppression. Now, now this is really important for us as a church, and for you who are believers, this is significant. Because it's important to remember that the gospel doesn't just set us free from spiritual oppression. The gospel also addresses social oppression as well. And for many years, and for a long time in church in America in particular, you had two different kinds of churches. You had churches that addressed the spiritual oppression and that dealt with the personal salvation of individuals. And you had churches that dealt with social oppression and dealt with social justice. And never the two shall meet. And and we would call the ones who dealt with the spiritual oppression and the personal salvation, we would say those are more conservative churches. And the churches that dealt with the social issues and and dealt with social justice issues were more liberal churches. And and the social justice churches didn't deal much with individual salvation. And the the churches that dealt with individual salvation didn't deal much with social justice issues. And by doing so, they were both wrong because the gospel addresses both. And in this one story, we see how the gospel addresses both in a powerful, powerful way. As Paul prayed and declared over this girl that she would be set free. And in fact, the demon came out of her and she was set free. And it created trouble for Paul and his followers because these people who had been making their money off of this girl then arrested them, had them beaten, and had them thrown in prison. Now, this this idea of the gospel Uh, as a powerful weapon to set people free, both from spiritual oppression and from physical oppression, is really being exemplified in a significant way through a ministry partner that we have at Southside Baptist Church. Many of you are familiar with her song. 
Southside, we are a part of founding her song. We were one of the churches that helped get that launched. We were one of the churches that support it on a regular basis. Um, One of our small groups this past uh, spring, uh, as part of a Go Jacks, went over and did some work at the safe house. And I, 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 as I was reading Acts chapter 16 and the story of the slave girl, I just thought about so many of the women who have been affected uh, by the power of the gospel through the ministry of her song. And so I asked Rachel White, the executive director, uh, if I could share a story, uh, a, modern, a story of a modern slave girl with you, and she sent me this. This is a testimony of somebody who is currently living in Freedom Cottage. By the way, if you've ever given to the Invested Campaign, if you've ever given to Advent Conspiracy, you are a part of making this happen. Let me read you the story. All my life, I've been in bondage to my past. I've experienced not only being a prisoner as a child and had horrible crimes committed against me before I could even ever speak up for myself, but I've also been in a literal slave. I've been a literal slave and physical prisoner locked in rooms with no way out. I was sexually abused by many people starting at four years old, My parents sold me for drugs for years. Later in elementary school, I was put in a foster home. In fact, I live in many foster homes and sometimes back with my parents. I bounced all around and had no stability. Most of my childhood, I lived in a camper with no power, no running water, and no food. I was dirty and wore dirty clothes. Some way I made it out of the home at 18, and when I got an academic scholarship to, co- and got an academic scholarship to college, but my family robbed me of everything I, I could ever earn to make my way in the world on my own and spend it on drugs instead. I was their prisoner. My brother shot himself in the head, and I was the only one, and I was the one who found him. I was so alone. Ultimately, the depression got so bad that I lost everything I had, a job, school, a boyfriend who was stable, my car, everything. I drowned my sorrows in alcohol, hoping to not feel the pain and ended up homeless and alone. Two nice older men took me in and gave me a room, but they ended up not being nice. They nailed the door to my room shut for days and starved me for days and only fed me alcohol. I went into withdrawals so many times I can't believe I lived through it all. They wouldn't let me out to use the bathroom. One day, they let me out, and I was throwing up in withdrawals in the driveway, and a neighbor saw me, and an ambulance came for me. It was one of many times I've been hospitalized in withdrawal for alcohol. But things are different now. I now live at Freedom Cottage, and the people at her song are helping me not only heal, but achieve goals and go back to school and build a new life for myself. I'm grateful to be free from evil people and thankful that God has set my heart free. I am only 26 years old, and I have so much ahead of me. You see, when you read the Bible and you read a story about the slave girl, it's easy to think, well, that doesn't happen anymore. And yet I think we'd all agree after hearing that testimony, it happens way more than we want to admit. And the same gospel that was powerful enough to free the slave girl in Philippi is the same gospel that is setting that young woman free. The powerful message of the gospel set her free, not just from spiritual bondage, that she went from darkness to light as she found faith in Jesus Christ, but also physical bondage as she has been set free from her captives and now has hope in a future. See, as a church, we get to be a part of both stories. We don't have to choose one over the other because the gospel is both. The third case study is a Gentile. Verse 32. 
About midnight, Paul and Silas was praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison were shaken. Remember, they're in prison because they set the slave girl free, and her traffickers were losing their income. So now they're in prison. They've been taken down to the depths of the prison. They've been chained. An earthquake comes, and they're shaken free. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Now, in this day and age, if he had allowed the prisoners to escape, he would be brought before uh, the, the, the political leaders, and he would ultimately be found guilty and assassinated. So to save himself, he was going to take his own life rather than be tortured by the Romans. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. Verse 29. And the jailer called for light and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of night and washed their wounds. Isn't that beautiful? The one who had just beaten them and imprisoned them is now washing the wounds that he himself may have inflicted. (laughs) I mean, this is the power of the gospel to transform a life. And he was baptized at once, he and his whole family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Now, if we were to compare uh, the jailer, this Gentile, to somebody in our city today, it might be a retired veteran who works as a bailiff at the courthouse downtown. Uh, He has a good job. He's got a solid retirement in front of him. He loves the Jaguars and a cold beer on Sunday. And he has no need of God. Now, like Lydia, he's financially secure, but unlike Lydia, he's not spiritually seeking anything. He he is sufficient. He is content in what he already has. Now, a reasonable argument is not going to convince the jailer of the truth of the gospel. Why? Because unlike Lydia, he is not already seeking God. So he wasn't going to be open to Paul talking to him with a reasonable explanation of the gospel based on the Old Testament. Also, a powerful display of the gospel is not something that's going to impact him. He's not looking for God at all, so he's not in bondage. He doesn't see himself in bondage like the slave girl at all. None of those things were going to work. What he needed was a practical reason to believe. See, Lydia needed a reasonable explanation to believe. The slave girl needed a powerful demonstration of the gospel to believe. But this man needs something practical. See, he saw something in Paul when the circumstances presented themselves. Look what it says in verse 30. What must I do to be saved? What motivated the jailer to ask that question? It was the fact that even though the prison had been busted wide open, Paul and Silas and everybody else, they're still in there. He's like, hey, 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 we're right here. Don't kill yourself. Don't kill yourself. We don't, we don't want to see that happen to you. And something happened. He, he saw something practical in the gospel. He saw it lived out in Paul's circumstances. And I just wonder how many of us go through the circumstances of our life, the hardships of our life, and Think about the fact that that hardship may be an opportunity for somebody to see something practical about the gospel in your life. I mean, the way you faced cancer, the way you endured abandonment by a spouse, 
The way you dealt with a prodigal child, the way you dealt with the aftermath of a financial catastrophe, all the things in life that happen that aren't good, but God can still use for good, all those things, people are watching. And somehow they ask the question, how is it that she has the strength? How does he have the ability to endure such difficulties? And they see something practical about the gospel in the way you live your life, and it changes them. So you have three case studies. You have a woman, Lydia, wealthy but seeking after God. You have the slave girl in bondage both spiritually and physically. And you have the Gentile, a jailer who's self-sufficient and not seeking after God at all. Let me share with you three observations from Acts chapter 16. If you're interested in taking notes, you can fill this in on the back of your bulletin. The first thing I think we see in these three case studies is that God is actively working in the lives of people to draw them to Jesus. He is actively working in the lives of people, all kinds of people, in all kinds of situations to draw them to Jesus. Look at Lydia in verse 14. It said, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to Paul. Paul didn't do that. The Lord was already at work in Lydia's life. And the Lord opened her heart. Look at the slave in verse 18. Paul said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. It wasn't Paul who drove the demon out of the slave girl. It was Jesus Christ himself who did it. Look at uh, the jailer and the jailer's story. Paul didn't cause an earthquake to happen. Only God can do that. But God brought an earthquake at just the right time. God is working in the lives of each of these individuals, and God is working in the lives of people around you. He is working in your life right now. He is working for one purpose, and that is to draw people to the saving message and the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, where do you see God working in the lives of people around you? Where do you see God active and working right now in the lives of people around you? That friend that you have whose spouse is is battling an addiction? That, that person in your office is going through a divorce? I mean, if you look at those situations through spiritual eyes, you may see that God is doing something in the midst of those circumstances, and you may have an opportunity to join him in the activity of what he wants to do in that person's life. Which leads us to the second observation from Acts 16. God invites us to join him by meeting people where they are with the message of the gospel. We have to meet people where they are in the circumstances in which they find themselves. We cannot wait for them to clean their life up and come to church in order to share the gospel with them. We have to follow the model of Jesus and the model of Paul and be willing to go where they are. And sometimes that means going to the ends of the earth. Sometimes that just means crossing the street. Sometimes that just means going to the next room in your house. Going where people are. See, Paul saw Lydia's interest in things, in spiritual things, and he began to engage her in a conversation. It reminded me of the story we looked at earlier this year uh, with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. As Philip sees this Ethiopian reading the Isaiah scroll and just basically says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, I have no idea. I have no clue what this means. And so Philip just joins him and begins to explain what he's reading. When people are around you seeking after spiritual things, asking spiritual questions, you need to view that as, your, as God's invitation to you to join him in the work he's doing in that person's life. But the slave was different. Paul saw the slave on a daily basis, 
recognized that she was in physical bondage and in spiritual bondage. He recognized the oppression and he boldly addressed it. I don't know what some of you are facing and some of your family members are facing. Maybe it's somebody you know who's in bondage to alcohol. Somebody who's in bondage to some other form of addiction. And maybe God's inviting you to boldly address what it is that's holding them in captivity. But you meet them where they are. And the jailer, Paul's witness in the midst of a crisis laid the foundation for the jailer's conversion. It was Paul just being like Jesus, just responding to circumstances that he had no control over in the way that Jesus would respond to the circumstances, just doing the next right thing every time. And the jailer saw something in that that was practical, and the jailer said, what must I do to be saved? In fact, that better translation for that is, gentlemen, will you please tell me how to get out of this mess? The, the jailer recognized When he saw this practical expression of the gospel, he recognized that is something I lack in my life. I didn't think I lacked it, but now that I've seen it, I lack it. Tell me about this. And he came to faith in Jesus. You see, one size, when it comes to sharing our faith, when it comes to sharing the gospel, one size does not, and it has not, ever fit all. And it will never fit all. Because the circumstances of people in your life are different from one another. And sometimes we need to use reason we need, to, we need to be prepared to give a reasonable explanation for the gospel and tell why we believe what we believe. But sometimes it comes from social outreach and, and involvement. Involvement in ministries like her song. In, involvement in, in ministries in our city like the Florida Baptist Children's Home. Involvement in social issues where as we engage in those activities, it's not just that we're trying to do good things to make people's lives temporarily better. We're engaging in their temporary struggle for an eternal benefit. Because ultimately, as they're set free physically, we recognize that they have to be set free spiritually in order to enjoy the eternal benefit of what the gospel has to share with them. So we engage in social activity. We engage in outreach ministries that address the social bondages that people in our world face. And also lifestyle evangelism. Just living your life day to day, going to work, going to the store, doing the next right thing, and recognizing that people see something different in you as you live the gospel out in your activities. The third observation, and this is the most simple, but I think it's the most important, and it is this message that the gospel is for everyone. See, Lydia was wealthy, she was educated, she was influential, and she was seeking after God. And the gospel was for her. The slave was poor, uneducated, powerless, and desperate. And the gospel was for her. The jailer was comfortable, content, not seeking after God at all. And the gospel was for him. The gospel was for the Gentile, for the slave and for the woman. You see, I, I think Luke, Luke is a good writer. And, and I think Luke is sending a very clear but subtle message as he uses these three case studies. Because I think he's taken a swipe at that prayer that Paul had probably prayed every day until he came to know the message of the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, you know what? The gospel changes everything, and it changes everyone, and it's for everyone. Are there people in your life 
that you're overlooking because you just don't believe that that person would respond to the message of the gospel? Maybe it's your wealthy friend who has everything, and you think, well, they don't need anything at all. And so you've just completely discounted the fact that that he or she may need the gospel as well. Have you discounted the people that you drive by in the city on a daily basis whose life circumstances look tough and difficult and you think you're, you're really not sure how you could ever impact them with the message of the gospel? Are there people that you've discounted? Are there people who seem so content in their life that, that they don't want to be bothered with the message of the gospel or they don't want to be bothered with an invitation to church, but are you praying that God will send an earthquake into their life that might open their eyes to their need? And when that happens, you'll be positioned in the perfect place for God to use you to invite them to come and hear the message of the gospel. But maybe it's not somebody else, maybe it's you. Have you been convinced that you are somehow not worthy of the gospel? Have you somehow been convinced that you are beyond hope of the gospel? See, God's inviting you to come. Come and be set free. Come and be set free from the hopeless pursuit of wealth. Come and be set free from spiritual and physical oppression. Come be set free from contentment uh, with the, the satisfaction of the things of this world and complacency. Come and be set free. The gospel is reasonable. It is powerful and it is practical and it's available for you today. I'm going to invite the band to come back up and uh, we're going to close our service this morning with a song of invitation. A song that definitely fits the second case study, the slave girl, as it's a song that talks about no longer being a slave. But you know, she wasn't the only one in the story who was enslaved. Lydia and the jailer were enslaved as well. And some of you are enslaved. And I wonder if today you would just respond to Jesus' simple invitation to be set free by the power of the gospel. That the gospel is for you whatever, in whatever circumstance you find yourself. Or maybe today you're, you are already a follower of Jesus, but you recognize in those three case studies people that God has placed in your life. And you just want to come forward and you just want to pray for them. You just want to pray for that 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 child. You just want to pray for that brother, that sister. You want to pray for that parent. You want to pray for that neighbor, that coworker. Because you see in these case studies their story and you want to be available for God to use you however he would use you. But I know there are some of you in the room today who are Lydia. Some of you in the room today who are the slave girl. Some of you in the room today who are the Gentile jailer. And I just ask, what are you, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting on to respond to the simple invitation that Jesus loves you and gave his life so that you could be free? Not just in this life, but for all eternity. I'm going to invite you to stand and we'll pray. And if that's you today, if you are someone who's here today and you want to respond to the message of the gospel, I invite you to come forward. If you want to come forward and just pray for somebody that you know, who you believe God is inviting you to join him in his mission of reaching them with the love and message of Jesus Christ, we invite you to come. You can pray down here. We'll be here with you. Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to open your word together and to be reminded how incredibly relevant it is to the circumstances of our life today. Father, for the Lydia's in the room today, 
who have all that money could buy and yet they find a, a discontent in their soul. Lord, I pray, I pray that they will seek after you in the middle of their discontent and that you will reveal to them the truth that religion will not change them. It will not satisfy the need, but that Jesus can change them from the inside out. Lord, for the slave girl who's here today, for the man who's enslaved today, I pray, Lord, today, not only for physical freedom, but I pray for spiritual freedom as Jesus breaks the bonds of their captivity. And Lord, for the Gentile jailers who are here today, they're just content with life the way it is, just day to day looking forward to the next thing that they can watch on Netflix or the next sporting event. Lord, I just pray that today that they would understand how practical the gospel is and that you would use whatever circumstances to rock their world, to wake them up to your invitation to receive the love of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask you in this time to move in the hearts and lives of all of us who are here. And we ask it in Jesus' name.